Welcome to the Richie Flow Nutrition Podcast. My name is Cameron Borg. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Daniel Cardinali. Daniel Cardinali is an expert in pineal physiology, melatonin, and circadian rhythms. Dr. Cardinali got his MD and PhD degrees with honors at the Salvador University, Buenos Aires. He is presently director of the Department of Teaching and Research, Faculty of Medical Sciences, Pontifica Universidad Católica Argentina, and Professor Emeritus, University of Buenos Aires. Dr. Cardinali's fields of interest include the physiology and pharmacology of melatonin and biologic rhythms, in particular their relationships to sleep medicine. To date, Dr. Cardinali has published more than 450 scientific papers and 105 invited review articles in books. He has also edited 25 scientific books and special issues. Dr. Cardinali is the recipient of many awards, including the Scopus Prize for being the most cited Argentine scientist in biomedicine working in Argentina, the Aaron B. Lerner Pioneer Award in recognition of outstanding contributions to the field of melatonin research, and the Connex Foundation Prize as one of the five most relevant Argentine scientists in basic biomedical sciences. I am truly honoured to have had the opportunity to speak with such a learned and wise person about their life's work. Daniel is extremely passionate and generous, to whom I owe a great debt of gratitude. He is unbelievably knowledgeable and not afraid to speak his mind. He is the author of several books, including 50 Years with Melatonin and the Stone of Madness, which is a brilliant look at the history of the pineal gland. I had a really wonderful time simply listening to Daniel's ideas, and I sincerely hope you do too. Uh, The recording starts somewhat abruptly because we were talking beforehand and I just thought it would be great to start recording as the ideas started to flow, so I hope you don't mind that. So with all that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode. So go ahead, Afaris. Well, I would love to know how you started researching uh, circadian rhythms and how melatonin came into the picture for you, because I believe you even started your uh, scientific journey before melatonin was, was discovered. Is that, is that correct? Well, um, I'm not really a chronobiologist. Indeed, what I'm, I'm, my background is endocrinology more than that. So, um, and many times I'm conflicting with the chronobiologists because they are, <clears throat> too strict in, in several aspects of the circadian rhythmicity. On the other hand, I'm a physician, and always I have as a center of the research, the application to the human uh, health. And uh, <clears throat> that really emerged when, when you look on what, what we were doing during these um, more or less 50 years, more than 50 years indeed. I started to work on the pineal um, a little bit later than Russ Reiter, and Russ described fantastically all the story at that time. I was a medical student and <clears throat> aware of the first papers on the pineal gland. And uh, <clears throat> as an interest, since my interest was endocrinology, I look at the endocrine consequence of the pineal <clears throat> removal. My doctoral thesis was concerned on what happened in the domestic duct 
the DAC is a fantastic model for an endocrinologist because <clears throat> during the winter time, you have uh, testes of uh, a few milligrams and during summertime, you have grams of testes. So that fantastic growth um, was, uh, was in a very interesting target to look on what the pineal did. And indeed, what um, we pursued the idea that um, were very consolidated at that time, that the pineal was a photoreceptor uh, or has a photoreceptor capacity. And um, when I turned to melatonin, I started to look, well, how melatonin could influence that. Um, but center of melatonin, we <clears throat> uh, were described, we described that at, at that time, the idea that melatonin was only and exclusively produced by the pineal gland was consolidated. <clears throat> and what we found was that the retina, which has a similar embryological origin that the pineal in, is the diencephalon, the retina also have the property to produce melatonin. And that was my, my first, I would say, highlight paper. And I tried to convince <clears throat> people uh, to go abroad from Argentina and to have some postdoctoral post training in the United States. And I went to one of the leading laboratories in at, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology with Professor Richard Goodman, uh, and I worked for two years there. Uh, Goodman was rather <clears throat> um, cautious to, to, to get the idea that the retina produced melatonin, and so, but uh, later I knew that <clears throat> he first answered, after, before answering me and accepting me in the lab, he checked if the melatonin synthesis in the retina occur only in the American rats. So well, uh, with, uh, together with Gurman, we describe many aspects, for example, melatonin in blood, how it's bound to albumin. Indeed, um, you, you see at that time, my interest in endocrine was always present because uh, uh, I tried to apply <clears throat> methodology from the steroid field on, to the melatonin field. And um, well, for example, the protein binding in blood was uh, one of the points we check and we found the albumin was the major component that bind melatonin, binds melatonin in blood. <clears throat> and well, after Coming back to Argentina, I was involved more and more in melatonin receptors. And uh, also I, I, I didn't <clears throat> leave the endocrine field because I spent a lot of time in checking what sort of hormones affect melatonin synthesis in the pineal realm. We describe receptors for protein and steroid hormones and the metabolism of steroid hormones. So we, we, we spent a lot of time on, on that aspect, but more and more melatonin was at the center. 
and we uh, carried out the first binding experiments on melatonin to receptors, and that was a very <clears throat> flourishing field two, five years later after that descriptions. And uh, well, I have the opportunity <clears throat> to start to work on melatonin in clinics because um, melatonin was approved as a <clears throat> OTC medicament in Argentina in 95, in 1995. Uh, that allowed me the possibility to start to work <clears throat> on the effects of melatonin. The amounts of melatonin um, used were the small amounts of melatonin. Melatonin um, performed the role as a chronobiotic in concentrations of two to five milligrams, uh, two to 10 milligrams per day. And well, we start to apply melatonin in two different populations. Um, in all people, because the, the indication was uh, melatonin disappeared from the blood in, in, in the elders. And then this is, uh, and, and since there are chronobiological and uh, problems with the sleep and so on, so the <clears throat> obvious a feeling of application was uh, the whole population. And what we observed when we started to work on that was a very interesting property of melatonin that um, um, in one of the papers we published in, in 97, 1997, we found that uh, <clears throat> the <clears throat> melatonin treatment of the whole population of one of the retirement homes, I mean, the, 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 the homes devoted to, the, to ancient people, um, and with uh, looking at the, at the problems of sleep, we see that, well, one of the um, encouraging observations that melatonin synchronized um, quite effectively the starting point of sleep. And this was very important for people, health people in the, at the home and also for demented people. You know, the Alzheimer disease is a situation with the sundowning, which is this agitation, uh, vesperal agitation is uh, very common and is uh, a landmark in the evolution of the disease for, for those people because uh, that's the, 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 the uh, starting point in which they are going to homes rather than stay in the, with the family. You know, it, it is impossible to cope with the people uh, having some down in, in <clears throat> In at home, so you you have to 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 go to the intern home or over to go to the to the special uh, organization for having those people, and <clears throat> what we found was melatonin was very effective to synchronize the this sundowning, but interesting enough when we look. Um, at people after one, two years of treatment, we found that <clears throat> the um, decay, the cognitive decay, 
was stopped for, by melatonin. And this, this was a, a, a very encouraging observation. Uh, we published that, there were a lot of controversy. There were people supporting that, people that, who use melatonin um, for a long time, they, they see the, the effect. But some of the <clears throat> of the trials uh, performed internationally on short-term melatonin administration do not see exactly the same as we see. Well, uh, after after this, we we realize that re <clears throat> you have to. I'd like to to address one of the points that is important to understand when one is working in a <clears throat> in a country in a Latin American country like Argentina, one, there, there are a lot of, um, um, I would say, funds, supplies, and so on that you cannot get. And uh, one of the problems is to perform uh, control research, trials, placebo control, and so on. So we have a lot of experience on observational trials. And um, what we found is that melatonin is very effective when you are dealing with the first phases of the cognitive decay. And this is extremely important because you can delay the, the appearance of this terrible disease. And um, what uh, we found uh, was something that in this case there, there were no no controversy in the in the published literature. Um, there are more than <clears throat> at the present time several control trials looking and seeing exactly the same that we saw that melatonin was effective to um, I would say to stop the degeneration. That means that you know when the, the minimal cognitive decay is a <clears throat> complex. Um, clinical situation in which probably many aspects in many entities are included in that definition. But what we know is that approximately 10 to 15% of those people uh, go to Alzheimer's disease per year. And in our hands and in, in several other studies, uh, we could just halt the evolution of the disease and indeed, uh, I think that that was uh, something important, as uh, Dr. Reiter <clears throat> mentioned in the podcast with you, uh, the, the amounts of uh, saving uh, funds and investment for the countries are extremely important. We just delay the starting of the disease for one or for two or three years. Well, um, I, I think that another point that really from the, from the clinical point of view interests us very much, and we could verify that several times, is that <clears throat> melatonin can be very useful as a halting tool to um, interrupt the consumption of benzodiazepines and other CETA, the CETA drugs related to benzodiazepines in all people. And 
there is a consensus that all people must not uh, be treated with uh, benzodiazepines or CETA drug for more than one, two months, two, three months. But uh, at least in Argentina, uh, many, many people use for many, many years benzodiazepines and CETA drugs. They are quite addictive. And we really have a very, um, an important success in getting people out of the benzodiazepines with melatonin. But this <clears throat> DARMI, indeed, uh, that was also an observation who derived of the 97 paper I mentioned on, on this whole population of people using melatonin for the first time. What we saw was those people uh, decreased the use of benzodiazepines when they were given melatonin on, on, a, on a chronic basis. Um, and uh, <clears throat> this uh, is important because which one, one is dealing with melatonin, there are several aspects that you have to, to consider. First, that melatonin <clears throat> is a chronobiotic, that this is the a natural uh, prototype of compounds which affect the circadian rhythmicity. And for the chronobiologists, it's very important the period of the circadian rhythm. For the clinician, it's very important the amplitude of the rhythm, more than the period, but the amplitude. That is, uh, when, when you are getting older, the <clears throat> strong, um, active, uh, time during the day and the profound sleep during the night, that is a very um, uh, marked and amplitude sinusoidal uh, wave decrease and you are having a very poor or poor vigilance in the during daylight and very poor uh, sleep in the night. And melatonin <clears throat> and light in the morning are the two manipulations that can be very effective to increase the, the, the quality of the vigilance and the quality of the sleep. Uh, and that is the role of melatonin at low doses. But there, there is another aspect, which is extremely important also, and I think that it will turn to be, you know, the when when you <clears throat> look at people like uh, Dr. Ras Reiter <clears throat> speaking about the, the subject and uh, you know the, develop the, this idea that melatonin is an old molecule as all as the anaerobic uh, respiration and the you know this the change in the in the phylogenetic scale. Uh, and melatonin is present, and it's present, why? Because it's a very um, crucial uh, compound able to <clears throat> modify the metabolism, uh, affect the production of free radicals, and uh, regulate immuno, the, the immune reaction. And it is melatonin is a very, very center anti-inflammatory compound and you know, oh, today, inflammation is in the center of all discussion of chronic diseases in humans, um, being diabetes, 
being the metabolic diseases, being the neurodegeneration, you always have a core of inflammation, which is <clears throat> can be ascribed as the origin of the cardiovascular, for example, uh, diseases. And melatonin in that case is a very, very suitable um, <clears throat> adjuvant compound to uh, specific drugs in many aspects, in, in diabetes, in the cardiovascular disease, and so on. Uh, so when you are dealing with melatonin, you are doing on one hand with a chronobiotic effect, and on the other hand with a cytoprotective effect. And the, uh, these two effects are dissociated in doses, in concentrations. Melatonin is a chronobiotic in concentrations up to <clears throat> 10 milligrams, but it's a cytoprotective in concentrations that we don't know exactly how on how much. Um, I think that approximately one milligram per kilogram of, of weight uh, is, is the approximation of this. And the reason because I'm saying this is because when you look at the myriads of papers published on melatonin in animals, uh, uh, protecting cardiovascular diseases, and protecting metabolic diseases and neurodegeneration, the amounts of melatonin that you can calculate theoretically, of course, to be applied in humans are about 50 to 100 milligrams per day. So uh, this is one of the, of the reasons uh, why when one is dealing, for example, with diabetes, which is a, a, a very devastating disease, you know, in many aspects, in many consequences, you probably are <clears throat> doing a very poor favor to the patients if you are using low amounts of melatonin you have to use high amounts of melatonin. And the same happened with the neurodegeneration, the, the Alzheimer and the Parkinson's disease too. So um, these are two aspects of melatonin we have uh, to disclose exactly. We don't know yet uh, on, on mainly concerning the cytoprotective effect, which is the real dose. Coming back to the chronobiotic, uh, it's interesting that we are dealing with, uh, at least in Argentina, with two types of melatonin preparation. So one kind is a fast-release melatonin. Melatonin, you are giving melatonin at night in the nine or ten, and you are getting a very, very high level of melatonin, and then a decrease during the night. And we have also the prolonged release form of melatonin, which is also pharmacological. And this is a very important <clears throat> um, taking consideration that uh, the, from the pharmaceutical propaganda, uh, it is said that the <clears throat> melatonin, prolonged release melatonin, resembles the levels of melatonin uh, normally coming from the pineal gland. And this is not true. Melatonin, when you are giving two milligrams of melatonin, you are getting uh, several uh, orders of magnitude higher melatonin in blood than that melatonin produced by the pineal gland. 
which is true is that the, when you are giving prolonged release melatonin, you have melatonin in the first part of the night and in the second part of the night. And from the chronobiological point of view, that's not very, very, very nice. <laughs> if I wish to get the chronobiology effect, I need to have a pulse of melatonin in one moment of the day. And, but on the other hand, if one needs, for example, to have a very effective effect of melatonin on benzodiazepine withdrawal, uh, the, the prolonged release of melatonin is very useful because it's much more useful than the fast release melatonin. So what we are doing at the present time is combining the two. And let me put it this way, it's very difficult for me uh, as a physician and all professor of physiology to convince my, my colleagues uh, to use melatonin in high amounts in patients. Many of them are doing that, but uh, melatonin is not in any <clears throat> protocol or guideline from the different specialities, societies, to be using that amount. Uh, but for me, it's much more easy to convince them into, is to stay in the low level of melatonin, but combining the property of a chronobiotic, that is to give a far release melatonin, three milligram, and at the same time, a two milligram prolonged melatonin dose. So in the night, you have the two effects. And um, certainly we are, you know, um, we have been, very successful in motivating some of our leading <clears throat> physicians in Argentina to pursue on that on that on that line. But still, we do not. I cannot really uh, say exactly which is the amount of melatonin to be cytoprotecting. But what happened in the, this <clears throat> last two years? the pandemic came. And this was a very interesting <clears throat> booster dose for the consideration of melatonin in the, in the applications on COVID. Uh, we published uh, together with uh, writer with other persons, you know, many, many, you know, papers trying to pursue the idea that melatonin is the is a, the, in, to some extent a silver bullet for the COVID pandemics. And why a silver bullet? Because there is inf information that melatonin, many of this information is coming from animals, of course, but there are some for, uh, from the clinic. Melatonin is very effective in preventing the virus entrance the SARS-CoV-2 uh, uses mechanisms that can be blown by melatonin, like Paxlovid, the, the last uh, drug produced by Pfizer, uh, which affect the protease, the M protease, which is the main uh, step uh, after entering for the virus in um, the multiplication of the virus. Melatonin is a very effective drug in that aspect. 
So melatonin can block the initial aspects of the virus entrance. Melatonin is a very effective <clears throat> anti-inflammatory, antioxidant <clears throat> uh, drug, and the cytokine storm uh, in animals can be controlled by melatonin administrations. And there are up to now seven clinical control papers published on melatonin on COVID patients indicating the efficacy in that aspect. Melatonin is a chronobiotic, very important when you have people in intensive care unit because the delirium is a very common situation and melatonin is recognized as, as, as an anti-delirium uh, tool important in, in intensive care unit. And uh, melatonin, because of this cytoprotective effect and is, is, is uh, able to control to some extent the <clears throat> situations of comorbidity, for example, cardiovascular disease and diabetes, which were comorbidities uh, that affect very much COVID-19 evolution. And melatonin could prevent the long COVID effect. And this is one of the very interesting situations with melatonin nowadays, because there is no compound able to affect the brain fog and the cognitive decay. And this is, this is one of the problems of the pandemic that we have not solved and we cannot solve with the vaccines. So the long COVID implying on one hand the cognitive decay, or on the other hand, the fibromyalgia, I mean, the, the chronic fatigue, uh, which is very typical of those patients. There are information that melatonin, for example, in fibromyalgia, melatonin is very effective, and it does have been demonstrated in several places. We were the first to demonstrate that, and then there were several papers showing the same. Uh, and uh, in the cognitive decay, well, uh, this is the link with the minimal decay I, I commented, I mentioned concerning melatonin effect in the first phases of the Alzheimer's disease. And finally, melatonin is a very uh, important immunoadjuvant when you are giving the vaccine for, because uh, the possibility to <clears throat> increase the antibody titer uh, is, uh, is linked to the use of melatonin. So there is no drug able to have this picture. And this is the reason because we call silver violets to this. But still, you know, <clears throat> we are very disappointed because uh, it was impossible to put forth the idea of repurposing in really from the point of view of medical economic, economics, the reuse of drugs, which were approved for other uh, morbidities and so on, uh, and checked to be checked in, the, in, in this case, in the pandemic, is the first step that you have to put forth um, quite or at the same time that the vaccines. But the vaccines were not the answer. You know, there are people with vaccination that are getting long COVID. So we, we have to solve this problem from 
another point of view. And one of the major uh, situations that Ralph Reiter mentioned, and it's really true, is that <clears throat> melatonin is quite cheap, that nobody is interested in this compound, is out of business, you know, to sell melatonin or to even to promote melatonin. But I think that melatonin, uh, from this point of view, is something that should be um, the interest, I mean, should be motivated the interest of the national authorities concerning this. And well, perhaps in the, in the near future, we will see some change in this uh, big pharma, <clears throat> um, you know, business in which you have to big companies paying for the big control studies that are published in the big journals and, are, and then are, are approved by the national authorities. You know, the, the business is a multi-million dollar business. And at least from the point of view of the underdeveloped countries, uh, we have to be very careful in put forth uh, strategic drugs that can be, you know, as cheap as melatonin. Uh, melatonin is, is a very few dollars you have to invest uh, against thousands of dollars when you are using other compounds. Well, uh, there are there are so many threads that I want to pull from um, from that that line that you've just gone through. That's um, you've just given so much information. I do want to take a step back and ask you about the cytoprotective effects of melatonin. Uh, these are the ones that are. Um, I mean, they're just as interesting as the circadian effects, but I've spoken to a researcher, um, Glenn Jeffrey from University College London, who works on the retina. And he made it very clear to me that the retina is the most energy intense. Um, they are the most energy demanding cells in the body. So it doesn't surprise me that the retina can uh, generate its own melatonin because you need a, a great degree of antioxidant defense when you're creating so much energy to protect you from ROS. Um, so is that, is that why you went, uh, why you did the research on the retina in the first place? Well, in the case of the, 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 no, the, the studies on the retina were those first study motivated by, by the fact that both compounds have the similar embryological origin. I mean, both, both organs, the retina and the pineal. So my initial thought was in some moment of the intra-ontogenic evolution, uh, this uh, situation should be came out and the retina should produce melatonin in the fetus. Uh, so we started to work on the fetus and we, we saw melatonin in the retina. But then we saw melatonin in the retina in the adult animals too. So the idea was wrong, but uh, indeed melatonin in the retina is a very interesting subject and a subject of interest on retinitis pigmentosa, for example, and several other diseases. And uh, I, I, I stopped to work on melatonin in, in retina, one of my... <clears throat> graduate students, Dr. Ruth Rosenstein, uh, was uh, very active. She is still very active 
working on melatonin in the retina. And I think that melatonin, and, and from the point of view of the <clears throat> impact, for example, of diabetes on the retina, which is extremely important, uh, the use of melatonin is a must, you know, because uh, uh, I, I couldn't, uh, there are situations in which I am very strong, uh, influencing even against the, the in, in incumbent physicians uh, that you cannot leave a patient without uh, a cytoprotective when you have a disease like diabetes, for example. And from a from your point of view, from an endocrinology point of view, what what is the role of the pineal gland? I mean, most people are familiar with its uh, releasing of melatonin uh, in in the dark period, but what else does it do from a uh, from a hormonal perspective? From uh, you know just governing like I, i'm aware of the uh the work with um duck testes looking at the impact of light periods on the growth of um, duck testes so what do, what else is the pineal doing apart from releasing melatonin at night the the endocrine aspects of the pineal function have been leaving aside when you are dealing with melatonin melatonin is so important that all the other aspects are generally forgotten. I think that we have to to go. I, this is a very fruitful area to to go further for young people interested in that. You know, looking at the, what happened in the, with endocrinology of the pineal. The pineal is not only melatonin. The pineal has several polypeptides, hormones, and uh, you know, this is still an open subject. From the point of view of the clinical, uh, one of the problems that we have to answer and we don't have the answer yet, is that when you one <clears throat> uh, looks at this overuse of melatonin in children, which is a situation that is very alarming indeed, because um, one thing is the autistic spectrum. There is no doubt and there is consensus that melatonin is very useful in treating <clears throat> the <clears throat> sleep disorders in autism and presumably also the you know neuro neurodevelopment aspects in, and neurodegeneration, inflammation, and so on. So I don't have any doubt to give melatonin in to those patients. The problem is when you are dealing melatonin to a normal child that uh, do not get sleep because you are not, for example, teaching sleep and we used to teach our children many years ago. Now there's this uh, COVID, for example, um, is interfering with sleep very strongly uh, and there is a lot of, uh, you know, controversy concerning what sort of approach, behavioral approach, you have to use with the children, living crying or not living crying them, you know, that's a, a complicated thing. And what happened with the father, I mean, with the parents, is that they go to use melatonin and they are using melatonin for two reasons. On one hand, they are, you know, they can rest and they can perform more or less normally without interfering the, their own sleep. And on the other hand, the children get sleep with melatonin. But the problem is that 
melatonin for the endocrinologist. You see, <clears throat> there is a very funny story concerning the, what happened with the idea of melatonin in the 19th century. Um, approximately for um, 1880, there was a paper published by Hobiner, a German pathology, indicating that uh, boys who has melatonin tumors has a <clears throat> overdevelopment of the <clears throat> uh, sexual organs. And this uh, was interpreted as the tumor destroyed the <clears throat> breaking effect of melatonin on puberty. The idea that melatonin affects puberty came from that moment, from, from, the, from those studies, regardless that uh, after advancing in the <clears throat> endocrinology, methodology, and so on, what happened is that those patients with have macrogenitosomia uh, had pineal tumors, which besides destroying the pineal, produced ACG and produce the LAH activity of the chorionic gonadotropin. So uh, what happened is that they do not have a true um, advanced puberty, but have a puberty which was produced by the tumor itself. The tumor produced LH-like substances. So um, the, idea, the idea of melatonin interfering with puberty <clears throat> uh, stopped at that time, but in the 60s and 70s, there were some papers in primates indicating that when you remove the pineal, uh, you disturb the equilibrium of hormones peripubertal, mainly in males. So uh, put this in prospects of children taking melatonin for two, three, four years, and there are many, many of them. And this is a real problem uh, that uh, at the present times, there have been two or three uh, papers dealing exactly what we are arguing. I mean that melatonin could affect puberty. I, they didn't find any, in, any you know, indication that melatonin, the, the melatonin that those children receive could be affecting the puberal mechanism. But we have not complete the puberal period. We are in the prepuberal a period when you have people taking, you know, at seven, eight, uh, seven, eight years, all people having melatonin or receiving melatonin for three, four uh, years earlier than that. So we have to see what happened with those populations of children after completing the, uh, totally the puberal period. And we don't have any information on that. So and this is one of the reasons because I'm quite uh, worried and I'm quite against the use of the chronic use of melatonin in children. Of course, I'm not dealing with the problem of neurodisabilities. When you are, when you have a problem of neurodisability, for example, <clears throat> uh, in the in the case of the autistic disorder, or in the case of <clears throat> 
of the problems of you know people liking the twenty the twenty first chromosome has a, a brain which is similar to Alzheimer's. So you have to give those people melatonin, no question about that. But not the normal people. So the normal, I mean, the, the use of melatonin in children without a, a, any problems of this, with, with, which I discussed, uh, should be discouraged, definitely. Do you think that the chronic exposure of um, young uh, young children to artificial light at night is having an impact on sexual development? Um, they say it again. Uh, do you think that the chronic exposure of young children to artificial light at night is impacting on their sexual development? Hey, well, that's that's a, a the, the problem of interference of light. Um, you know, with a circadian rhythmicity, which is very prone to the phase delay, you are when you are dealing with light at night, you are amplifying the phase delay, and the phase delay can be finally transformed in an sleep disease, the phase delay syndrome. No, the phase, the phase sleep delay syndrome, and this is one of the problems with with light and with a, with light at night and that well Russ writer discussed very much in his postcard. So one of the things you spoke about in the book that you sent me, which I'm very grateful for, um, it's fantastic so far. I haven't got through um, all of it yet, but it's called um, something along the lines of uh, melatonin and the, the stone of madness is something that you refer to, which is uh, from, from what I can understand so far is refers to the calcification of the pineal gland. Um, this is something that comes up uh, every once in a while when I'm looking into melatonin and the pineal gland is this idea that calcification is bad and it's definitely something you, that you want to avoid. Um, what, what are your perspectives on this calcification and, and what, what, what is the impact of the calcification? Well, um, I'm not an expert on that, you know, it's, um, these are similarities. It is, uh, indeed, if you are looking exactly at, you know, there are people who even use trepanation of skull in order to amplify the mind, no? And that's something which is at least very, 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 you know, discouraging. I should be very discouraging of that. But, um, I don't know exactly. Well, the pineal, you know, when Kitai and Al Shul in the 50s published a book, The Pineal Land, after so, you know, because the story of the Pineal Land was well developed at the time of Ramon y Cajal in Madrid and the Nobel Prize on Ramon y Cajal. And one of the of the disciples of, of Ramon y Cajal, uh, Lorente de No, uh, has a very strong uh, work on describing what sort of 
cells the pineal have. The pineal have modified glial cells, and they were very, you know, enthusiastic in the idea that the pineal should secrete some compound. Um, but really what happened from the 30s, I'm talking about 1930 to 1950, the moment in which melatonin was described, was summarized in a book by Kitei and Alshul, the pioneer land, and the only uh, clinical application they, they endorsed was the use of pineal ex extract in schizophrenic patients. So the idea that the pineal to some extent is linked to the, to the mental activity uh, is, is, is in the, you know, in the, the Cartesian idea that uh, is in the, in the background of many persons today. Indeed, the, the seasonal affective disorders is an example of a disease which occurred during the winter time which is linked probably to the fact that there are the demonstrable <clears throat> effect uh, changing circulating melatonin in those patients and uh, that can be treated adequated with light or and in sometimes melatonin itself and this is a depressive effect which is linked to the environment um, I think that there are many, many aspects, uh, you know, that we have, the, the, you know, inter-twin and inter-demonstrate uh, the inter, interrelations. There are plenty of areas of the pineal function which are out of melatonin that should be examined. Uh, so the melatonin is not the end of the pineal story. The pineal itself uh, is a... It's something very interesting, you know. People were, I mean, was were always interested in the pineal, and the pineal <clears throat> in uh, when when the anatomy came out of the brain and everything was paired. The pineal as an unpaired organ in the middle of the of the brain uh, track the you know, the interest of people like Fracastor. Fracastor was um, <clears throat> an Italian physician who described the syphilis. And Fracastor was the first to say that, the, that in the brain, something which is in the middle should be connecting the right with the left. And uh, the hypothesis, which was another central organ, impaired organ in the brain, has a very, <clears throat> very bad you know, publicity because the pituita uh, was the uh, CSF fluid coming from the nose after death. And the idea was that the, the pituitary, the adenohypophysis gland, removed the pituitary like the kidneys remove substances from the brain. So uh, pituitary cannot uh, play the role as important as the pineal gland from that point of view. And Descartes took the idea that the pineal was central for the uh, mind diseases and, and so on. Is there any connection between fluoride uh, consumption in fluoride. drinking water and the calcification of the pineal? Mm. Uh, 
Flora is concentrated in the pineal. It, it, uh, that's true. Um, the calcification of the pineal is a very mysterious situation because it's not a necrotic calcification. The pineal does not uh, lose the capacity to produce melatonin because it's calcified. It's not necrotic calcification. It's a, an extracellular calcification that probably indicates an excess of, uh, of uh, production of other compounds. And, um, you know, there is also an association which is important with, a, with calcium and melatonin and vitamin D also, no? that vitamin D is one of the compounds that should be careful managed in all people as an adjuvant together with melatonin. Uh, so, uh, you know, these are probably the two more uh, useful supplements that you can give to all people, vitamin D and melatonin. But uh, uh, this is a situation where uh, there is no more, <clears throat> there is, there are very few studies uh, dealing with that, except, uh, and it's a pity because uh, with the neuro, Imagining one could have at the present time information that was not available 10 years ago. Mm. Mm. So one of the th other things you mentioned in the book is biphasic sleep. This <sighs> idea that humans, you know, maybe, maybe had a, had a siesta in the afternoon. They, they slept for a few hours, then woke up again and then slept again at night. Uh, what, what, does this change the story about melatonin um, and the, the how it's released in the in the dark period of the of the cycle? And there is no information concerning that. We don't know. There is plenty of information that these two sleeps is a very popular subject today. That uh, well, from the clinical point of view, is uh, is a very helpful helpful argument that you can give, for example, to an old people that come to you. He say, "Well, I I cannot sleep." Well, you ask why not? Because I sleep fantastically when I was young, and now I cannot sleep. Well, there are many things that you cannot do when you are getting older. And uh, when one of the problems is uh, that can be convincing for them is to explain that people live in two types of sleep for many, many years. And indeed the electric light changed that. So a first sleep and a second sleep. The interesting aspect of the first sleep and the second, second sleep is that um, even very, very small amounts of light in the middle of the night is able to block melatonin in blood. So um, it's difficult, uh, well, one could reproduce in a sleep laboratory the situation of the two sleeps and looking for melatonin, but there is no infor information as yet what happened with circulating melatonin in people uh, subject to those light regimes. But um, it is an, an interesting point to to pursue in the future. Mm. Um, 
how about the connection between melatonin and melanin? I know you mentioned vitamin D just now. It seems that uh, there is a, a connection between these two compounds. Is it possible that um, melatonin can help uh, prevent uh, sunburn? Well, uh, the, the cosmetic effect of melatonin uh, has been demonstrated. Um, you can usually use, we, we recommend to patients receiving radiotherapy uh, to prepare some sort of, uh, uh, of local preparation for covering, covering the, the skin in, in unprevented radiation effect. Melatonin is secreted, as uh, everywhere in the body is secreted in the skin. Um, Reiter and Slominski have done very nice work concerning that, that aspect of melatonin. And melatonin is active in melanoma, which is important from the point of view of the oncogenic problem here. Um, certainly, um, my experience with melatonin and radiotherapy was uh, just uh, in two or three patients with tumors in the throat and in the mouth and tongue who receive radiation and have uh, a terrible reaction uh, that may, may really unsafferable the situation for those patients. And we could correct that with melatonin giving locally and besides of melatonin giving systemically so melatonin should be considered in, in oncology uh, very seriously. And unfortunately, so far, the oncologists are rather reluctant to, to, you know, to, to look at this compound. Um, the example of Dr. Rubicin that writer mentioned in the podcast is very important. Dr. Rubicin is, is, a, is a drug which is quite used uh, very, very popular for the oncologists and the effects of doxorubicin are devastating. So melatonin is a very effective way of uh, reducing the activity of doxorubicin and helps the patients indeed. How, how specifically, <clears throat> how does melatonin uh, help from an on oncological point of view, how does how does melatonin impact the development of uh, cancer? Well, um, I would say that <laughs> you know science is this. No one, if if you asked me three months ago <clears throat> what I thought about melatonin in cancer, I was well. Uh, I, I would mention, and, I, and of course it's valid, uh, many, many studies in animals and some studies in clinic that indicate that melatonin is a very effective adjuvant. <clears throat> but suddenly, very few uh, weeks ago, a paper was published in Science, um, very well documented that metastasis increases during the night. And in the animal models, uh, in, and checking very carefully all the, the problem of metastasis in, in experimental 
breast cancers, they demonstrate that metastasis increases in the night and melatonin was involved. So, um, you know, this is indeed is what happened with science. One is looking and something appears which is very important when we have to see how this evolved. But, you know, this is, an, at least for me, is a note of caution one should have concerning the use of melatonin in certain tumors. No? So, if, if the, the, the title of the, of the article is that sleep, that metastasis increases during a sleep or the sleep affect metastasis. And uh, I think that this is open a very interesting situation. We will see what happened uh, when, with these sort of experiments. Uh, indeed, from the rest of the studies published in animals, in published in the in patients also, uh, melatonin is effective uh, mainly in in two aspects. On one hand to reduce the effect of oncological drugs like doxorubicin, for example. And on the other hand, to increase the effect, uh, the, to the, decrease the nocive effect and to increase the beneficial effects of the drugs. And, you know, so far, I, and I use many times in patients who came to me, melatonin as a, as a Javan, that uh, uh, has uh, several aspects positive. On one hand, sleep improve, and on the other hand, depression decreases. So the quality of life increases. But uh, these um, observations concerning the metastasis worried me about what actually will happen with the, uh, you know, uh, distribution I mean metastasis of the cancer that's so interesting because in uh, if I recall correctly in one of Russell Ryder's presentations that I've seen he mentions that there are some breast cancers that actually don't grow during the night when melatonin is high so this seems exactly it, counter to that so it's exactly it, the opposite yeah, yeah. this is a very bad but uh, it is an observations <clears throat> It has been very well documented. The paper has been published in, a, in the science journal. Uh, we have to wait to see what happens. All right. So what about people who live very far north, let, let's say in the Scandinavian countries, where um, in, in June, for instance, they have very, very long periods of daylight and in winter, they have very, very long periods of night. Is your recommendation to try and co uh, coordinate their light exposure so that it's more, it represents something closer to the equator? Or is there another strategy? No, um, you know, we have, <clears throat> you don't need um, far away from the equator to have the problem. Mm -hmm. Argentina, for example, because of political decisions, is, we are living in a time zone which is not the time zone we should live. And this is a long story, but it happened because the politicians decided that rather than to be in the minus four, 
that it is the position of the which correspond to the country, we are living in minus three. So uh, the, the provinces and the areas of Argentina close to the uh, Andean mountains uh, has um, seasonal affective disorder demonstrable at a latitude, which is uh, approximately 30, which is the latitude of Buenos Aires. So, uh, you know, the politicians can do also modify the, the, the situation of the disease in this, in this aspect. Um, undoubtedly, the supplement of light is the, 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 the common use in people living in high altitudes. And this happened in Europe. The, the, we have plenty of populations quite close to the Arctic circle. In the South is not in that aspect, you know, uh, uh, we are far away of the Antarctic cycle, but it's still uh, Tierra del Fuego, which is the extreme province of Argentina, the incidence of depression in winter is very high and people used to expose to light. There is no place for melatonin indeed. What you need is to expose to light uh, to increase the mood. No? Um, some people have tried to eat melatonin together with light, but <clears throat> the light itself is able to, to compensate uh, these situations that uh, are indeed uh, worrisome. For example, <clears throat> in the bipolar disease, it has been demonstrated that it's totally related, the suicide rate is totally related to the latitude. So uh, one should be very careful concerning uh, the, the light exposure and, and to be the right latitude. Mm -hmm. uh, it's funny that um, for the same reasons that the politicians in Argentina <clears throat> decided uh, to move the time zone, uh, in Chile, in the last three years, there the were also um, time of the year in which you move the, the hour. And it coincides with a very, very important increase in, in political instability and social demonstrations and so on. So I think that one should be very, very careful in not to be and move, you know, the, the aspects that can concern the, uh, something which is more, much more complex than the aspects of the human health, that is the social organizations, the way people organize and the, the, the life we, we are doing in these complicated times. Hmm? Yeah, I, I, I know that uh, people like Matthew Walker, these sleep researchers, have spoken about the increase in uh, cardiovascular events uh, when daylight savings happens and you lose an hour of sleep. And when we gain an hour of sleep, uh, we see a reduction of about 25% in cardiovascular events. So it's understandable that these are... Um, 
these are things that are quite charged uh, and people people really care about them uh, yeah. for good for good well, reason. Many, people, many, many countries in Europe are now on the verge of deciding just to store the day saving light and because of all, all this. Yeah, absolutely. What about um, circannual cycles, these uh, yearly cycles that we go through where during summer the days are longer and we would likely see a, a lengthening of the of the circadian phase and during the winter we see a shortening of the circadian phase does does this impact on our metabolism on a yearly basis with a with the ebb and flow maybe during summer we want to put on some more weight and during winter we want to burn the excess fat that we've um, uh, definitely, the the season of the year is a is a cause of changing the period of the circadian rhythmicity, and uh, this is um, important to stress the the point that the circadian time is not fixed in every one of us. We the circadian time changes. And this is extremely important when you are dealing with chronopharmacology because <clears throat> a change in the circadian time means a change in the effect of the drug. So you have to have to have information of the actual circadian times of the patient. And uh, so far, the golden <clears throat> the gold standard is uh, the saliva melatonin, the dim light melatonin onset in saliva, but it's quite um, difficult to apply to the clinical field. And there is now some hope that the determination of the metaboloma, the many compounds at the same time can give you an idea of the time, uh, like the, the flower clock of Linneo, the, the father of botany. You know that he decided he set up a clock with flowers that could define the hour, the hour of the day by the opening or closing of the, the many, many different flowers. Uh, in the same aspect, we can have, for example, evaluation of 50 different metabolites. We could have the, the pattern that can give you exactly the, which is your circadian times. And this is a, the next step of chronobiology, you know, not to, to talk about, uh, you know, early birds and, uh, you know, owls and, and larks, but to check exactly in the patient, in which moment the patient is. And this is extremely important for chronopharmacology and for, for example, for applying oncologic drugs, you know, which are so toxic that you have to be very careful in, on that. But this uh, should be something that in the future it will be available. We don't have the possibility, you know, you need a, a mass spectra facility in the lab, which is, which is really something that one country can, can have one or two of them, but in the future probably we will have different approaches using genoma and so on. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. This idea of chronopharmacology, you know, there's a there's a best time of the day to take uh, substances to elicit the best response. 
Uh, it's yeah. very, very interesting. Um, Definitely, you know, as, uh, as one pharmacology state almost 50 years ago to give a drug three times a day at the same amounts is a stupidity, you know, this is true. Yeah, I noticed there was a there was a trial with melatonin um, on COVID nineteen, and they gave three milligrams three times a day, and I thought that was a very unusual um, yeah, way to administer it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't check that. You know, uh, the the only justification I would see to give melatonin in the day is when you are covering a disease which can be a septic shock or something like that. But even in that case, you have to be very careful in just giving a double of amount at the evening as compared with the amount of the day. So you 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 need to have the to respect the the chronobiology aspect. Why is melatonin so effective uh, used in sepsis? Why in in what aspect is so effective? Uh, I've I've seen many reports that um, melatonin is um, commonly used in septic shock um, to prevent ah, death. Well, uh, this is um, one friend of mine, uh, Doctor Acuña Castroviejo in Granada, uh, has made a lot of. Um, efforts to introduce melatonin in the intensive care unit for septic shock. Um, melatonin is a very, very effective because of the part of anti-inflammatory <clears throat> immunoregulator and cytoprotective effect of melatonin. And the melatonin doses that you have to, to give in those, in those uh, patients uh, are not low, should be high melatonin. And indeed, uh, Darío Acuña Castrovijo calculated that you need 60 milligrams of melatonin per day. And he was using 60 milligrams, uh, dividing the dose in the way that I was telling, giving mainly in the night and some of in, during the day. But melatonin in septic shock, and melatonin, for, for example, in neonatal, <clears throat> uh, neonatal shocks the, with the brain asphyxia and so on, and have demonstrated to be very useful because of the <clears throat> effect as an anti-inflammatory. I mean, the, the, the core of the activity of melatonin is an, the anti-inflammatory effect, definitely. Yeah, right. So how about in um, neurodegenerative disease? Uh, you speak a lot about um, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease in the book. Um, there is There seems to be some controversy about um, what causes Alzheimer's disease, whether it's whether the amyloid beta is a cause or an effect. Yep. What is your perspective on what's causing? Alzheimer's disease? Um, I don't know. I, I, I am aware, of course, that, that the controversy you mentioned, um, um, definitely the, the, this removal of substances, which include 
the tau protein include the vitamin include the synuclein uh, is is one very important uh, aspect which is linked to sleep and to melatonin uh, sleep is a way of washing our brains and good sleep me means good lymphatic uh, function and removal of compounds and melatonin has been demonstrated by <clears throat> papola which was a medical pathologist uh, very interested in melatonin since many years ago papola demonstrated the effect of melatonin on beta amyloid and the effect of melatonin on the lymphatic fluid melatonin is able to increase the, the lymphatic fluid so um, regardless of uh, which is the the egg of the or, or the hen in the case of uh, of alzheimer uh, the removal of the compound is extremely important um, indeed papola demonstrated that melatonin not only affect the removal but also blow the fibrillogenesis i mean the initial step of the beta amyloid so um we don't know yet. There is a very interesting <clears throat> paper published by a Chinese group uh, some years or two years ago, which they were testing <clears throat> um, an, a very poorly known sign of the Alzheimer's disease, which is the decrease of the cryos um, in, in the studies of the eye you can see the, the cryozone and the D-zone uh, can be increased or decreased depending on the <clears throat> myelinic compound of the optic nerve. It's a way of measuring the, the myelinic compound of the optic nerve. And those people uh, work with, with um, people with Alzheimer, very mild Alzheimer or <clears throat> minimal cognitive decay and uh, they study 80 people, 40 of, 40 of them <clears throat> received melatonin and the other received placebo. And he, uh, the amounts of melatonin that they received were rather low, 13 milligrams per, per day, every day, for six months. And they check the choroid thickness and the hypocampal volume and they found that melatonin was very effective to increase the the sin sign. I mean, the, the, the signs indicating that there were a cure in the optic nerve and increase the uh, hypocampal volume, and also modify uh, the CSF concentrations of tau protein and beta amyloid. And from the point of view of the minimental scales and all other uh, neuropsychological tests in those patients, melatonin definitely improved the, the test. I think that these sort of studies are extremely important in indicating that indeed melatonin should be taken as a supplement in all people in order to prevent this no i mean the the cognitive decay which is nobody is happy with that 
Yeah, definitely. Is there a, a general recommendation that, that you would make? Um, you know, I know as we age, the uh, amount of melatonin uh, that, that our pineal gland releases at nighttime decreases. So is there a general recommendation that you would make? Um, I think Russell mentioned something along the lines of 20 to 40 milligrams um, once you've passed 40 or something like that? Uh, I, um, I'm much more aggressive than Russ writer at that point. I think that when you are going in people with 60, 70 years old, you have to deal with uh, 50 milligrams at least of melatonin per day. And, uh, you know, I have many, many people around me which are, who are taking melatonin. I haven't had any problems at all. And for example, uh, in this COVID pandemic, we were able to, to show, you know, again, with the possibilities, very, very short possibilities we have to carry out um, uh, control studies, we were able to demonstrate that people who take melatonin or who took melatonin uh, were much less uh, compromised from the point of view of the <clears throat> pandemic, the strike of the pandemic before the vaccination. I mean, I'm talking the moment in which uh, you have a mortality in, in Argentina of 10% approximately of uh, people uh, elder than 60 years. And in the populations, we check in, in uh, one of the hospitals, university hospitals in Buenos Aires, uh, uh, one, 100 patients, no one of them died and only two or three were in intensive care unit. Those were taking melatonin in amounts uh, and, and as an average of approximately 60 milligrams per day. Uh, so I, I definitely think that the melatonin should be present in the old, in, in the old age to prevent, well, you know, all this pro-inflammatory situation. I mean, the, the, the center of these diseases, as I told you, uh, is inflammation and melatonin is a very effective endogenous inflammation. It's not the only one. Angiotensin 1.7 is also a very effective one and uh, vitamin D also, no? But melatonin definitely should be in the, in, 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 in this situation should be given melatonin. Do you think that it's also a good idea to reduce the amount of light, particularly in the blue spectrum, that you receive at night once the sun has set? No, definitely light in the blue spectra is affecting very, very... I think that uh, we have to evolve, uh, uh, to evolve uh, uh, from the commercial point of view to having lights not <clears throat> rich in the blue lights, but uh, diodes with emit more, more close to the red light. And definitely, uh, I, I think that one should be very careful to prevent the, the aspects that comes, you know, exposure to the, to, the, to the phone, to the screens, 
like the TV set, for example. Are, uh, and I think that you are using red glasses. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. I've been using those for years, so I'm I'm not sure whether I should also be looking into yeah. melatonin, but I've been trying to make my own. That's sure. <laughs> Um, I have heard from several places, I'm not sure how accurate this is, that the pineal gland is the, is an electromagnetic sense organ. It's very, Mm. um, very, uh, perceptive to, uh, small changes in, uh, electromagnetic fields around, around the head. So is there any impact of, uh, man-made electromagnetic fields on on the release of melatonin and the function of the pineal gland? Well, I, I cannot, I really answered exactly what Russ said in the podcast. No? And, and this was a very popular subject in the 90s, mm-hmm. but definitely no, no, no very solid and convincingly emerge. It doesn't mean that you don't have an effect. If you are using uh, this sort of uh, form of energy, you will have effect. But definitely, uh, this is an open an open subject. Um, I think that there are many economical interests on that. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a complicated field. Uh, and there are people who are claiming not as active as in the 90s. I must say that this last 20 years, nothing has happened very important on that field. But definitely is a weight of energy that can affect the pineal, that can affect the brain. And in the case of the pineal, there are evidence from the animals that the pineal function as as an electromagnetic detector. So but nobody knows what happened in the humans, regardless that the humans have ferritin and many other compounds that can be also active in that aspect. But this is still unproved. Mm, it's very interesting. Uh, before I let you go, because I've taken up a lot of your time, what, what are you looking forward to in your own research and the research around melatonin and uh you know, everything that you've been looking into, what are you excited about? Um, I think that the, the definite application of melatonin uh, as a very important anti-inflammatory compound in clinical medicine is a, is a goal that we must to pursue. And um, indeed, the... the com- the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, opened the field because more and more people are discussing this. So uh, the possibility of looking uh, a way in which you are talking about healthy aging, because we are not talking about prolonged age. We are talking about healthy aging. And healthy healthy aging means uh, less inflammation and we have to be very careful with all the besides the the way we are living the life we are exposed what we are eating and you know 
everything is produced into some sort of inflammation and is in the basis of cardiovascular diseases and metabolic diseases and probably the neurodegenerative one. I think that people who are, uh, are more and more, uh, you know, uh, believer on, on, on that aspect. In, is, if that is the case, we have to approach with an anti-inflammatory compound that cannot be necessary melatonin at all, uh, alone. You can mix melatonin with other compounds, uh, looking at the inflammation, looking at the low uh, degree inflammation, which is indeed in the center of the pandemics we are living, because then the COVID-19 was one, uh, uh, but uh, we, are, we have a, a cardiovascular disease pandemic, and we have a neurodegeneration disease pandemic. So uh, the, 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 to approach uh, in a protective way for, for this is the reason because we are talking about the chronobiological coadjuvant uh, of many, many treatments of unit. If you are doing, if you wish to do a very nice treatment of the arterial hypertension in people, you need to, to have also pay attention to the chronobiology, uh, which helps to the ad integrum recuperation of the patient. So I think that the, 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 the center of the melatonin would be the anti-inflammatory drug. But don't, that, from the point of view as a physician as I am, but uh, don't forget what the uh, writer stress, which is very important, that plans are now much more in, in important from the point of view of publications of melatonin than humans or, or animals. And as he, he said, the possibility of control, the, the heat stress of the plants in, when we are changing our environment is extremely important. And to have plants which overproduce melatonin can be also very useful for, for the applying of melatonin as a nutraceutical in the chronic diseases in humans. So that can be a very nice area to pursue in the future. Yeah, I can't wait to see where all this research goes and I'll certainly be keeping an eye out for your publications as they come out. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time, Daniel. This has been... Okay, it was a pleasure, Cameron. Yeah. Okay. Thank well, you. it was very nice. Eh? Thank Goodbye. you so much. I hope you I hope you take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep up with Daniel's work, I've put links to some of his publications in the episode notes. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts, and you can leave up to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is a simple, no-cost way to support my work and help me reach more listeners. Please feel free to leave any comments on my YouTube channel as I do try to read through as many as I can. I've also put links to all of my social media platforms in the episode notes if you'd like to keep up to date about the podcast, information about health, or if you'd just like to reach out to me in general. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Take care.